Dude, I was at a hotel. Um, I was at a hotel. I don't even remember where I was, but I was at a hotel and I go into the, um, the they had no bar or anything and I wanted a, a glass of wine and they had the claret in their little market. Like the grab it go section. Yeah. yeah. So I drank this in my bed a couple months ago in were my you, hotel were room. Were you literally in your bed? Like drinking I was literally in, your bed? in my yeah, I mean, it was a tiny hotel room. It was either in in the bed or on the toilet. <laughs> Better on the bed, I think. <laughs> Better on the bed, yeah. <laughs> hey there, I'm Nikki Lamberti, a multi-passionate entrepreneur who loves to share tips to boost your enjoyment on all the joy-filled things in life, especially food, wine, and travel. Not that long ago, I was traveling the world in my corporate sales job, and I discovered a love of fantastic food, beautiful wine, and the people and the places that bring them to life. So after a huge life change and a move to wine country, California, I've been studying wine, teaching others about it, and finally making my own. I started the Sip with Nikki podcast to create a virtual space for us to connect and hang out, try exciting wines together, and make the art of pairing food and wine less intimidating and more, well, awesome. So if you're a wine nerd like me, or just someone who loves to enjoy some of the finer things in life, but doesn't take it all too seriously, you are in the right place, my friend. Sip with me each week as I share tips, recommendations, recipes, and stories, along with some of my special guests who will drop some of their knowledge, humor, and wisdom as we all sip together. So in this week's episode, I am interviewing Dan Richer, who is a New York Times bestselling author for his book, The Joy of Pizza. He owns a ridiculously awesome restaurant uh, just outside of New York City in Jersey City called Ratza Pizza. And uh, we're from the same hometown, and he and I recently reconnected, and he has been such a guru and a guide to help Michael and I elevate our at-home pizza game. So if you like to make pizza at home, if you're trying to make it better, if you want to get started, um, wait till you hear some of his tips about working with sourdough and just the importance of fresh ingredients. Um, we have a couple laughs <laughs> for sure. We definitely have a strong Jersey connection and uh, it's a lot of fun. So can't wait for you to hear it. Please welcome to Sip with Nikki, Dan Richer, my fellow Madawan-born fermentation nerd. Hi, Dan. Yes. Yes. How you doing? I'm so excited to have you here. I'm so excited to be here. This is so cool. Thank you for being one of the the uh, groundbreaking inaugural guests on Sip with Nikki. It means a lot to me. I I wouldn't miss it for the world. So uh, in the intro, um, I shared a little bit with our listeners about your background, but I'd really love to dive in because one of the reasons I was so excited to invite you on is we started in the same place. We are born and raised in the same hometown in central New Jersey. Some people would call it North Jersey if they're from South. Some people would call it South Jersey if they're from North. We call it Central. So the yes. first thing I'd love to do is, can you please weigh in on the North Jersey, Central Jersey, South Jersey for me? Is it a thing? Yes, of course, Central Jersey is a thing. I don't, I don't know where this debate came from, but it's definitely, it shouldn't even be a, 
a conversation. <laughs> well, then we won't make it one any further. We won't give it any more validation there. Oh, let me ask you a question, though. Do you call it pork roll or do you call it Taylor ham? Pork roll, egg, and cheese. One word. Pork roll, well, egg, and cheese. Pork roll, egg, and cheese, for sure. But the specific thing, you call it pork roll. Yes, until I'm in the store in Jersey looking for it, and then I'm looking for the Taylor ham on the package. Because exactly. that's the brand, not the category of what it is. <laughs> All right, who knew what, that we were going to go there? So, uh, born and raised as a Jersey boy, Rutgers University, which we also have in common, Cook College within Rutgers University, which is the ag school. <laughs> and then I read something in your very official fancy bio about skipping your graduation to travel the world. So let's start there. Tell me what took you from Jersey to Rutgers to, you know, where you are at Raza in Jersey City. Yeah. So like you said, grew up in Matawan and uh, the only college I got into was Rutgers and specifically Cook College. They didn't. They don't want. They didn't want me at the uh, the real Rutgers. I only got into Cook College. They put you out the, with the cows in the pasture I, on Route One. Literally, literally, there's cows outside of the dorm. It smells like horse manure. I know. Ninety percent of the time at that dorm. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I I wouldn't change a thing about about my past or where I went to college because it informed everything that I do. Um, you know, I was taking the core classes that you were required to about agriculture and sustainability and learning about crop rotation when I was 18 years old. Uh, I didn't think I would ever use that or care. But as soon as I got out of college, I started to cook. Uh, and that's when it all kind of came full circle. But backing up a step, I did skip my crap my college graduation ceremony to fly to Italy because my cousin had an apartment in Rome. He was studying architecture for a semester there. And, you know, the Rutgers graduation ceremony is like six hours long. <laughs> I, didn't, I, I didn't want to have anything to do with that. Um, and I was just looking for an adventure. Um, I had been watching uh, a lot of Food Network and Food TV in general, instead of going to class. Um, <laughs> and Spoken like a true Scarlet Knight. <laughs> no offense to you overachieving Rutgers alum out there. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I, I just had this, this itch to go to Italy because I wanted to see what the food was all about. Uh, my first job was as a busboy in an Italian restaurant in Matawan. Which uh, one? Dusal's Cafe. Get out of town, uh -huh. of course. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I was a busboy there, and I used to hang out in the kitchen watching, watching them, uh, not thinking that I wanted to do that for the rest of my life, uh, but just because I was curious. Mm -hmm. I was a lot more curious about the kitchen than... Uh, then being in the dining room at that point. Uh, but I was a busboy. Then I became a waiter somewhere else. And then I made ice cream in college, which I really liked. Uh, you know, actually making the product. That was my first real kitchen experience, I guess. Was it I one of the churners? Like it looked like a big barrel with like a handle? 
Uh, you, it was not a hand crank <laughs> barrel, but you're younger than me, dude. <laughs> oh, listen, we had one of those growing up. So did we. Where you fill it with ice on the rim and yeah. salt. Yeah. yeah, we had that. It looked like a little wine barrel. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I made ice cream in college, and then uh, and then I flew to Italy, and my I my life became so clear to me. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And I take took small steps every day trying to get there, and I'm still doing the same thing right now. Well, first of all, I got goosebumps when you say my life became clear to me because that's amazing when those moments happen. And some people in life have had those moments. Some people are still looking for those moments. I have experienced that too. So when you say that, I get the goosies a little yeah. bit. How did you experience that? <laughs> When I came, the first time I came to wine country on vacation and stood in a vineyard and met someone who said, I live here. This is my house. These are my vines. I made what's in this bottle from what's right here in front of you. Please taste it and sit down at my picnic table. And I was like, what is this? It was just uh, unbelievable. Um, and that's I why that. I moved here to wine country in, in 2012. Um, in your book, and you guys, if you do not have the joy of pizza, and if you know me, if you are connected with me on Facebook or Instagram, you should already know this. You should have already <laughs> bought it. I share this link all the time. But Dan's book, The Joy of Pizza, is actually how we got reconnected. Because even though we grew up in the same town, there's a bit of an age difference between us. So we were not in classes together and really hadn't connected as adults. In fact, you're my younger sister's age, so you guys paralleled a little bit more. But about, I don't know, a year and a half ago, a mutual friend that we have, also from Madawan High School, shout out to Eric Ball, posted <laughs> that, hey, my childhood friend, Dan Richer, has just released a book all about pizza. And I remember seeing that post and uh, Michael and I already had the pizza bug and we'd already been buying some books and trying some things and making a lot of home pizza. And I was like, oh my God, someone from our hometown is doing this? Wait, he has Raza Pizza in Jersey City, which was voted the best pizza in New York City is actually in New Jersey. That is one of your accolades, right? Yeah, for sure. And I saw that post and I immediately ordered the book and it literally became our pizza Bible. And Michael and I dove into this book headfirst. This was during COVID, so probably at least two years ago now. Then we did a Zoom online class with you and I was like nerding out like I was going to meet a celebrity. I was like, hi, Dan, I'm Nikki. I'm from Adwan. I don't know if you know me, but I love your book. And I was like totally nerded out. And we have elevated our home pizza game so much. And friends and family who are listening who have enjoyed the, the product can hopefully vouch for that. But you really take it from, from everything, diving into the ingredients and the fermentation science and you know sourdough starter and all of that. We're going to get into that in a minute. But I remember the day that the book arrived from Amazon and I opened it up and I start reading your introduction and right away, you call out how it all started at Pizza Village in Aberdeen, New Jersey, sitting under the posters, the faded posters of the Leading Tower of Pizza and the Amalfi Coast. And I'm like, I can picture the exact table that he's talking about because it was next to the cooler where my dad would let us pick out a soda, which was a big deal on Sunday. And it was usually Sunkist or Welch's Grape, Fanta, or one of those crappy yep. things in the can. And you talk about how pizza was like just embedded in your in your DNA. And, and you say, 
the pizza back then may not have been anything fantastic, but it was like a part of who I am. So, you know, it, it all started there at, at Pizza Village for you, huh? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know it. It's so good. Those big, huge slices. It's yeah. amazing. So then what is it then going from that and then from your your journey going to Italy after college and having that moment of clarity, like what is it that you kind of took from the childhood pizza that we knew and loved to say, you know what, I'm going to put my own spin on it. I'm not going to try to be like this or like that or like Rome or like Naples, but I'm going to, you know, talk to us a little bit about, you know, how you figured out what your unique style that you do now is going to be. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that was definitely a long journey. Uh, it didn't, it didn't happen overnight. I'm not like this visionary by any means. Uh, I just took what I loved about the pizza that I grew up eating um, and adapted it for the ovens that I was baking on. Um, so l- let's back up a little bit. So I got out of college, flew to Italy, realized I wanted to do this. So I spent the next few years uh, learning how to learning how to cook, uh, and I worked at a pizzeria that. Um, that a friend of mine owned and he said to me, go work there, learn the business, and then I'll sell it to you. So for three years, I worked at this, at this failing pizzeria was not doing well. Um, and I was learning their way of doing things, um, which once I bought the restaurant, I changed everything because <laughs> uh, I, I realized like what I did want and what I didn't want, what was working, what's not working. Um, so this pizzeria happened to have two wood-fired ovens, which was unique back then. The place was started in 1990. I, I started working in, there in 2003, and I bought it in 2006. Uh, this was before all of the Neapolitan uh, boom that there, that there was during, you know, the 06 to, to 2015 or so. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't very common to see wood fired ovens, um, but this, this restaurant had it. So I'll, the oven that you choose to bake your pizza in is a pretty big determining factor on what you can and can't produce. Uh, you know, if you try to take uh, your home oven and and make Neapolitan style pizza that's supposed to cook in ninety seconds at you know eight to nine hundred degrees, not going to come out great because mm-hmm. it's a it's square peg round hole thing. Um, so I had these two wood fired ovens. I knew I wasn't changing them no matter how much I wanted to change the style of pizza. Uh, so that was the first thing. So I have these two very hot ovens, but I knew I didn't want to make Neapolitan style pizza because I did not grow up in Naples. <laughs> I, <laughs> I grew up eating that slice of pizza at Pizza Village that uh, that you pick up with your hands. It is crispy when you bite into it. It's not soft, wet, sloppy, floppy. Uh, it's not a fork and knife thing. Uh, so... I kind of blended the two, uh, 
and I, I, I came up with a list of characteristics about pizza that I loved. And initially that was, I don't know, six to eight characteristics um, about pizza that I love. And then I worked backwards to, to figure out how to recreate them by studying bread making techniques, studying cheese making, uh, learning about tomatoes from tomato growers, from tomato canneries. Because you were, um, in fact, in the Garden State, home of some of the best tomatoes on the planet. By far. <laughs> and this we're actually in the peak of season right yes, now, yeah. which is, this is the time of year to be in New Jersey. We're recording um, this at the end of August, everyone, <laughs> just so you know. If you're hearing this later and you're like, what? November is, is tomato season? We're, uh, it's the end of August right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so... I, so this list of six to eight characteristics, I added to it over time because I am constantly uh, constantly trying to make it better. And every time I discover a new characteristic that I want to achieve, I, I just put it in this list. It's 60 characteristics long now. Uh, and this and is this, the rubric we're talking about that's in yes. the book. The checklist, yes. a.k.a. pizza rubric, which yes. blew my mind when I turned the page. And I was like, this dude is no joke with his level of detail when I first saw that. It's it's crazy. Yeah, well, I had nowhere to turn to, right? Because it, the the style of pizza that I wanted to produce didn't exist at the time. Uh, so... I had to put it down on paper and I had to name my intention, right? I had to say specifically, I want a structurally sound pizza that I can pick up with my hands. So every time I made a trial pizza, if I couldn't pick up, pick it up with my hands, I knew I did something wrong. Mm -hmm. And then I studied bread baking. That was, that was the big move is studying bread making, uh, because pizza is a flatbread with some condiments baked onto it. So you really have to understand bread baking first and foremost in order to understand pizza making. And I have to say now in my, you know, close to two years with this book and cooking home pizza from your book, that's probably what Michael and I have learned the most is about sourdough and the starter and temperature and, and everything that goes into it. So one caveat I want to give is, you know, if you're listening to this and you make pizza at home or you're, you're, you're going to get Dan's book and you want to elevate your game, um, I definitely second from experience what he says in the book, which is start with like some commercial yeast and like, you know, don't like try all, okay, I'm going to get a new oven and I'm going to work with sourdough starter for the first time because there's a lot of room for error. Kind of pick one thing at a time. But we had been making wine with wine. I'm such a wine nerd. We had been making pizza with commercial yeast. How fun that they're both made with yeast. Isn't that magical? Mm -hmm. um, and we had kind of gotten comfortable with that. And then when we started, um, uh, Michael got a sourdough going during COVID. Her name is Gladys because she was stored in a Gladware Tupperware. Um, <laughs> and he had been making like sourdough breads, but we hadn't made pizza dough with it. And when we got the book... We were like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. We have to start using this for the pizza. And then it, you know, it, it gets compulsive and you just keep trying and learning. So um, I would work up to that. But I can say, just as someone who eats these pizzas, and we do this a couple times a month, I find there is a huge flavor difference 
there is a huge textural difference in when you're using a sourdough starter versus commercial yeast. But tell me why sourdough? For you, what was it that made you kind of focus on that? Because you can make pizza without it. Yeah, I, I am always chasing flavor and texture. And I found that with without some some sort of um, starter, the flavor is just never going to be quite as good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm just always after more. I'm still after more flavor. So we still are constantly tweaking and changing our formulas um, after, you know, trying to make it better. Well, I finally got to eat in Raza for the first time just this past December. My family and I descended upon you and we're like, Dan, we're coming. And my parents and my sister, oh my gosh, my brother-in-law was amazing. Um, and then we just got to go back again this summer. So in the last 10 months, I've eaten at your restaurant twice, even though it's on the other side of the country. Yes. And I have to say that one of the things that's so amazing to me is the consistency because there may have been six or eight or 10 pies on the table. We didn't go there for one or two. And even though the toppings and the flavors, you know, and everything we were doing was so different, the consistency of that dough, of that crust, of that eggshell crunch, but then that airy, you know, a little bit of chew in there and, you know, just structure enough to hold whatever gorgeousness that you have put on there but yet delicate enough where the family ate, ate pizzas and we're like, we're not even really that full. Dough must be light. It's so light. The dough's so light, right? <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. So that is really impressive. And I know that you work so hard to get that consistency of every pie when it's coming out. It's amazing. Yeah, for sure. And day after day, mm-hmm. you know, because we could have a good day. And if tomorrow's a bad day, that's not a good thing for a restaurant. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's why I'm, I'm here every day and monitoring minute changes in in temperature, in the flour, in the amount of pressure that our cooks use with their hands to touch the dough. Mm-hmm. All of those things matter. It's it's like what I find myself when I'm giving wine tours to people at the winery, especially if they're new to learning about it. And I find myself saying exactly what you said, like everything matters. Like people are like, does where the grape is on the hill matter? Yes. Does the day that you pick it matter? Yes. Does the temperature of the guy's hands who pick the grapes? Maybe not so much, but (laughs) (laughs) I find myself telling people that everything matters. And I think that is such a cool parallel between these two sciences and food and wine and pizza, um, where if you just take the time to dial those things in, it's exponential as far yeah. as the quality improvement that you can find, which is awesome. But you really have to be dedicated in in those things um, in order to achieve greatness. Yeah. So when you say that, the the when I first met you and we came to the restaurant in December, the way I was like, other than your book, that I said, oh, this guy is really dedicated and is a fellow nerd of these things, is when you brought out your bread and butter sampler yes. board to us and you talked about your butters. Can you tease our listeners a little bit who are going to come see you at Raza and tell them a little bit about why they need to have this on the table? Yeah, it's so weird to start your pizza meal with bread and butter, but <laughs> honestly the bread and butter is something that I'm I'm almost more proud of that than than making good pizza. Uh, because like I said earlier, pizza is a flatbread with some condiments. 
And when you, in order to be great at something, you have to break it down to its elements. Uh, and there's something so pure and beautiful about something in its natural and stripped down state. Um, so we have this incredible bread that we bake because I wanted to learn how to make really good pizza. Um, you know, I had to study bread making and I've been doing that for almost 20 years now. It's just studying bread making just so I can make good pizza. Um, so in the process, I learned how to make really good bread. Uh, and we serve it with three different butters that we make. Um, and we're not talking about compound butters. These are unique products that um, that just came about because I'm, I was curious and dedicated. And it's something that we do every day. And it led to this. It didn't start out. This didn't, this didn't start the way it is now. Right, we started with one butter. It's grass-fed cow's cream from from Pennsylvania. We inoculate it with this heirloom Scandinavian yogurt culture. That's what initiates fermentation. If you think about sourdough bread, you have your sourdough starter that you add to the to the new flour and water, uh, and that's what initiates fermentation. So we have this dairy starter culture that we nurture the same that we do our sourdough starter, um, and we churn it into butter. And there's it's just such an amazing thing to, because the cows are grass fed, we're able to see the seasonal variation and changes in the butter based on what the cows are eating. It's insane. When you explain that, all six of my family around the table, we all had our mouths open and we were like, no way. But it makes so much sense when yeah, you think about nature. the variation in nature and what the cows are eating. And uh, it, uh, that was like a little mind blowing moment there. Yeah, they're not eating the same thing in December as they do in April, and um, and we we see it and taste it in the butter, and I just I love that. So it's like, welcome to Raza. We're going to give you some carbs with a side of carbs, and that's why I love you, Dan. Thank you. And sometimes <laughs> carbs on carbs, <laughs> like a potato pizza, exactly. potato leaf, which is ridiculous, ridiculous. Hey, speaking of ingredients, um, one of the things that I love in your book, and and this also I related to this when when I started really getting into pizza a couple of years ago, and you like read blogs and whatever books, and people are like, you need this double zero flour. It has to come from Naples, and it's hard to find, and and you need these San Marzano tomatoes that are in cans from Italy, and you know you're going all over town and Amazon to try to get these ingredients. And then I, and I'm going to read this out of your book. So <laughs> I believe the key to mastering pizza is not to adopt an Italian American approach and import ingredients like flour, mozzarella, and tomatoes. The best pizza comes from exactly where you are practicing with what you have at home and finding the best ingredients in your area. Tell me more about that. Yeah. I mean, come on. What? <laughs> When in the course of humanity did we ever import ingredients from thousands of miles away? It just doesn't make sense at all. Um, there are great tomatoes. There are great cheeses. There's great vegetables anywhere you are, as long as you know a farmer. Mm -hmm. um, and this sales job that that the Southern Italians have done on us is 
absolutely brilliant and awe-inspiring. Those are my people. But- <laughs> my people are good at sales and marketing. <laughs> they got our entire country, if not the world, to believe that to make good pizza, you need this double zero flour from Italy. When Italy is a very small country, they are not a very big wheat producing country. Uh, they don't even have particularly good wheat uh, as a whole. But when you look at the United States, we are in the top three wheat producing countries and our wheat is prized all over the world for being some of the best in the world. Uh, so why would I use this product that is milled in Italy, but they don't grow all the wheat to to mill this double zero flour. They're importing commodity wheat, just like everybody else. They import that commodity wheat from the big wheat producing countries around the world. They grind it up and sell it to us like it's this magic thing when it's actually just not at all. And people like me are like, $7 $7 for 500 grams? Yes. Yeah. Because I have to have that authentic best. Italian flour. And I will tell you when I when I subscribe to the the Bible of Dan that is the joy of pizza. I hope I'm not offending anyone with that reference, but mm-hmm. it really is. And we were like, let's try some local flour and let's find these beautiful local tomatoes. We live in California. We Yeah. It was better. Bottom line, the pizza was better. Um, and I'll never go back, right? And it was, and the other thing was just like for the sauce, um, you know, you're not cooking a Sunday sauce on the stove with all the herbs and the cooking it down with the wine, fresh tomatoes, let them shine, a little bit of salt, that's it. And once yeah, I nothing. learned that, again, I can't, I need to come up with a new phrase because I just keep saying mind blown, mind blown, but it just really made a huge difference. So thank you for that. My taste oh, buds, thank you. Yeah, and it just makes sense, honestly. It does. You know, no Italian, like a true Italian person living in Italy is going to import an ingredient to their country. They're going to use what's right there. Mm-hmm. Like Neapolitan pizza requires San Marzano tomatoes and buffalo milk mozzarella. It just so happens that San Marzano tomatoes are right there and buffalo milk mozzarella cheese is all over the region. It's what's naturally there, mm-hmm. but to to make an authentic Neapolitan pizza in New Jersey, I should be using what's right here. Mm-hmm. So, one of my main jobs at the restaurant is to source these ingredients and to find great cheeses, meats, vegetables, uh, and that's that's such a fun part of of my job. Mm-hmm. Connecting with people over over their products because there's people behind that cheese, there's cows behind that cheese, there's land behind it, um, and I get to explore all the, all of those things. And at the end of the day, those those ingredients are the building blocks t- for us to make people happy. I was also really intrigued that you take that focus on local and the people and the sourcing, even to a condiment like chili, red chili flake. Um, yeah. Because in the book, I think there's a spot where you talk about in in the uh, childhood pizzerias, we all can picture the 
the, the sticky silver pleated canister with the <laughs> stale chili flake that probably hasn't been filled in forever. And we thought it was Tastes great. like cardboard. Tastes like cardboard. <laughs> so um, we uh, learned a little bit about your uh, chili flake collaboration. And now we have like three jars in the pantry. Aww, and that's all we use. Thank so you. can you share with everyone a little bit about your, your burlap and barrel collaboration? Yeah. So we have a... Uh, spice company here in Brooklyn that um, Brooklyn, yeah, <laughs> they um, they do fair trade single origin spices from around the world. Um, they personally know the farmers. They import their ingredients. They do the blending here, and they were kind enough to create like my ideal crushed red pepper, um, which. We call crushed red peppers because it's actually a blend of four different chilies, um, and they're just so much, so much better. It's not just heat. There's actual flavor in there. One of the chilies is smoked, so there's just a hint of smoke to it um, that you probably won't even recognize, but you're like, oh my God, this is so delicious. That's probably what you're tasting. Fresh chilies, flavorful chilies, and a little bit of smoke. Uh, but we have a whole chili program at the restaurant. Uh, we make fermented chili paste. Can you say those we, magical words again? You have a whole what? Uh, a chili program. Oh, say it again. Say it again. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. We're, we're like, we would like chili all three ways, however you're going to serve it to us. And exactly. you did, right? Exactly. Uh, yeah. So we make this fermented chili paste that is very similar to making butter or making yogurt or sour cream or pizza dough or bread dough. Uh, you're just harnessing nature to convert something into something else. And that recipe so, is in the book. It is. And Michael made that with chilies from our garden last season. Yes. And it was killer. So thank oh, you. I love that. that. I love that. God, I sound and like that, such a groupie. That, Listen to me. <laughs> oh, please. And that recipe is so good because you don't just have to use chilies. You could, you could use that formula and make your own pickles from it. Just do the first half of the recipe. It's it's amazing. Yeah, it and I think there is a movement where people are really getting more, and I think it came out of COVID. People really got into gardens and like growing stuff at home and you know having that access to food locally. So fermenting For sure. and things like that is definitely more my. During during COVID, my garden never looked better. Right. It was amazing. Right. And now <laughs> our poor gardens are like, come back. You're so busy. <laughs> you should see mine. <laughs> Tonight is Thursday night in August. You are there at Rasa right now. How many pizzas will your team serve tonight? I have no idea. Um, we're typically somewhere between four and 700. It really depends on the weather. Like today, it rained a little bit. So... There's nobody sitting outside at all, yeah. and we have a nice big outdoor space, so sure nobody's sitting awesome. there. Yeah. Um, it also depends on how the orders come in. Like, if everybody wants pizza at the exact same time, then our wait time for takeout goes to three hours, and everybody's like, "Nah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go somewhere else," which is obviously very understandable. Right. Uh, but then we'll make less pizza. Well, it's worth the wait. But people, for me, like, I, I don't I don't look at that stuff as much as I should. Um. You know, I look at the big picture and the numbers, but on a nightly basis, I don't care if we sold 450 or 550 pizzas or 700. That's not a measure of success for me at all. 
Like not even a little bit. I'd rather make 20 pizzas perfectly and make 20 people so, so happy than make a thousand pizzas, but only, you know, 90% were great. It's about joy, right? And that is, I mean, it's in the title of your book. And I'm sure people can tell just from me getting excited talking about this, this, this craft and this attention to detail and this cooking with local ingredients brings so much joy. And I think that's why I have really loved learning from you and experiencing it and then, you know, putting our own take on it at home. It's about the joy. And yeah, I'm all about that. I'm a I'm a joy junkie. In fact, <laughs> the name of this podcast was going to be Joy Junkie, but it was already taken. So damn you, Joy Junkie, whoever you are. We went with Sip with Nikki, blah, blah. But yeah, joy, I'm all about the joy from the food and the wine and the people and the travel and all those things, right? You've got to be busy. And I know you have a wonderful wife who weirdly <laughs> lived in my childhood house after I did, but that's a story for another day. <laughs> she and I have the same name, Nicole. Shout out to Nicole. Um, and you have two little kiddos. So how do you balance it? I know you're busy with this restaurant. How do you balance being a dad, being a husband, and and running this rock star restaurant? It's hard. I constantly feel like I'm not doing a good enough job at any of them, but I'm doing the best that I can at all of them. And it, it takes a lot of recalibrating um, at times. Um, I just was in, we were away for, two weeks in, in uh, California and Hawaii. So I got to be with my kids for two weeks all day and night. It was amazing. Um, and now I'm like back in the routine at work and I miss them. Like I want to go hang out with them. Aww. How old are they? Uh, six and seven. Uh, oh my gosh. Fun ages. Yeah. And you guys wait till you look in this book at the beautiful photography and there are pictures of his kids with him in the kitchen. And then on your social media, which is awesome, um, you have great, uh, like there was recently a video of your daughter making pizza in the wood yeah. of you, which is so awesome. So I love that they're involved with it and they're cooking with you in the kitchen too. Oh, for sure. That's, again, one of the one of the many things I love about pizza is that my six-year-old son understands what I do for a living. Mm-hmm. He can relate to me and he can learn about the world through pizza. And you know, the first the first few years of them understanding pizza was, you know, and pizza making was all about the, you know, developing their fine motor skills and playing with the dough and being creative with what shapes you can make out of the pizza dough. Uh, and now we're talking, we talk about agriculture a lot. Uh, we're out in our garden talking about food and where it comes from. And that's obviously relates to pizza. And eventually when they get into, you know, chemistry class in high school, we're going to start talking about fermentation as it applies to pizza. And then eventually when they're in physics class, we're going to talk about thermodynamics and how that relates to pizza and it's pizza is just this amazing platform for connecting with people and and for discovering the world. Like I never ever thought I would have to study thermodynamics in my career, but I do, and it makes our pizza better because of it. 
and is yet another, beautifully said, by the way, and it reminds me again of a parallel of one of the things I love about wine is we say like historically wine is one of the only beverages that is not uh, bottled in a single serving container. Now, a bottle could be a single serving container. For me, that's a, another <laughs> yeah. problem I need to address, but... <laughs> but it is meant to be shared, right? It brings people yeah. together. It is about community and sharing. And I feel like that is something that pizza and wine totally have in common. Right? You know, I don't think that I ever made that connection because I talk about it with pizza all the time. And you're absolutely right. So Yay. thank you. Yes. So that's a perfect segue to talk about pizza and wine and pairing. So I am all about Ooh, pairings. Yeah. And I know when I first met you, I, I nerded out and asked you this question about, I think it was on the Zoom, the cooking class. I was like, hi, I'm Nikki and I'm in California and I make wine and we grew up together, but you don't know me because I'm older than you and I make mine. But like, what kind of wine do you like with pizza? And you had, like, uh, you had, a, you had a great answer. So before we get too specific and taste wine, which we're going to do in a minute, just generally, and it depends on the pizza, but what are some of your general favorites, go-tos, and types of wives that you think pair well with pizza? So, you know, I love wine. Um, I You wouldn't be here like... if that wasn't the case, yeah. so check. <laughs> uh, it's my predominant beverage that I drink besides water. Um, no, but I, I think so many different styles of wine uh, can pair well with, with pizza. Um you know, it really depends on the mood, the setting. Like if I'm making pizza outside in a hot summer day, I'm not drinking a big red wine no matter what's on that pizza. Mm -hmm. So you could you could tell me that a, a big California cab is the best pairing for this pizza, but if I'm making it outside in a hot summer day, I'm not drinking it, right? So um, I always like to preface that, like it's situation is very important, um, but I you know, I love pet nats with uh, with pizza because they're just so similar to bread making and cheese making and sourdough bread. Uh, plus, I just I love drinking them for some reason. I like a little a little bubbly, not to cut quite through the sparkling, cheese. but it's a little frizzante, a little lively yeah. on the palate. The pet nut, yeah, I think it just reminds you. It's a visual reminder, like somebody made this. Yeah, somebody grew these grapes, somebody did this in a bin or a barrel, and it's not a commodity that was made at a factory, but someone made this in small batches with love. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's how I think about it, right? Exactly. So uh, but honestly, yeah. I love I love champagne. I love there's pretty much no wine that I don't really love. Well I'm definitely I lean more on the white side. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm saying that I feel like I'm getting old and I can't like Dude, handle big red wines as much. Don't say you're getting old because I'm about four years ahead of you. So if oh, you're come old, on. come on, come on. <laughs> but yeah, our tastes definitely do change. So, uh, well, as we go into our our segment of uh, sip spotlight, sip spotlight. Um, as you guys all know, on every episode, I like to have my guest and I sipping the same wine. So Dan and I. Both have the same bottle in front of us, same vintage, same wine. 
And when I reached out to Dan in preparation of this, I said, all right, we got to pick a wine that we're going to talk about. It's got to be a wine that you like with pizza. I'll let you pick. I'm not going to make you drink Solovato. I can't do that on every episode. That'd be a little self-serving, right? Plus, I don't have enough of it. So tell us a little bit about what you and I are sipping and why you picked it. Yeah, so we're sipping it because I'm knee-deep in uh, this pizza contest that is being held by the Francis Ford Coppola Winery. Um, They've enlisted me as the head judge for the second year in a row. And um, the contest is over August 31st. And then I get to come out to California. Yay, in- we're going to drink wine and eat pizza together. Yeah. <laughs> in, uh, in October to judge this pizza competition. And so I've been talking a lot with the Francis Ford Coppola winery people, and they are just amazing. I love them so much. Uh, this is the second year in a row that I've done it, and uh, they're just an amazing team, amazing family. Uh, I just, I love it. Um, yeah, so we're drinking their Claret, which is one of my favorite wines by them, and I don't think it's possible to realize how how good this wine is for fifteen dollars. Wait, it's insane. I paid seventeen. That must be California <laughs> taxes in their jersey. Seventeen. I don't have the Coppola connection Sorry. that you Sorry. do. <laughs> Sorry, seventeen dollars. <laughs> no, I totally agree, and I. First of all, for those of you listening, the the Coppola Winery is here in Sonoma County where I sit and where I live. It's literally about 20 minutes from my house. It is absolutely gorgeous. Put it on your list next time you're coming to visit. It's such a cool place. They have all of the movie memorabilia. My dad was like, I got to go see the Godfather costumes and the cars. <laughs> and so the first time they came out to visit me here, we, we made the journey. Um, but I will tell you, I have not had the claret in a long time. Um, so when you said, I'm going with Coppola claret as, as what I want to sip, I was like, oh, this is fun because I haven't tasted it in a while. So you've got it in your glass. I've got it in yes. mine. 2020 Coppola claret. Let's see what cheers. we think. Yeah, cheers. That is lovely. That is a very drinkable, nice bottle of wine for fifteen to seventeen dollars. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I can't tell you how many times we go to the store, and I'll buy these bottles in that price range, and I end up just either dumping them out or putting them back in the fridge to maybe cook with. And I mean, I just i I don't understand how it's that good at that price point. And I think just knowing what I know about wine production, it's got something to do with just the volume that they make, that they're able to keep this price point where it's at. And then they've got so many partnerships with great vineyards, not only in Sonoma County, but all throughout California. Because when I read the the notes, um, the tasting notes on the website about this wine, there's different vineyards that they're sourcing from, but it's primarily Cabernet Sauvignon. Um, but Claret, yeah. for people that don't it's know- It's a Bordeaux blend. It's a Bordeaux blend. Claret- uh, you know, when people see it on the label, they assume it's French and they say Claret, just like Cabernet. Mm-hmm. 
But claret is actually an English term. It's a British term. So um, if you watch, you know, The Crown or Downton Abbey, like occasionally you'll hear like, oh, go fetch the claret. It's a British term. (laughs) It's an old timey term. You don't see it on a lot of wine labels, but it essentially is a red blend. So this Coppola claret is primarily Cabernet Sauvignon, but not enough to call it that. So it's got some other beautiful grapes in the blend. And, um, which I realized after drinking this and other, other Cabernet or just specifically Cabernets, I like the blend. Yeah. I think it softens it and makes it a little bit more complex and it's just more, more geared towards me. Yeah. Well, and what I love about this wine, there is definitely ripe fruit. Like I'm getting a lot of plum. There's some nice like black pepper spice. Um, yep. It's got a nice a sort cocoa. of little cocoa. It's got a nice kind of cacao. <laughs> James, you owe me a beer. <laughs> you owe me a bottle of $17 Coppola Claret. Um, and it's funny because when I am like teaching people about wine and the topic of Claret comes up, uh, whether it's at the winery where I work or, you know, when I'm teaching courses about wine or whatever, and people say, oh, yeah, Claret, like Coppola. Like everybody is familiar. If they've heard of the term claret, this really? is the exact wine they think of. And they go, oh, is that the one with the gold, the kind of like the the wire cage over the bottom? Like, yes, they have made this wine forever. It is great. And I feel like this would be killer with, I mean, I would just go classic like sausage or pepperoni. Like I need some meat on that pizza yeah. to balance out kind of the weight and the richness of the wine. What do you think? For sure. Yeah. For sure. Big Big red wines and pizza are difficult unless there are big, bold flavors on the pizza. Agree. Like I, with a white pie, with a delicate white pie, a ricotta pie or a burrata pie, um, this yep. might be a little rich for that. Um, but with some of your, even your big, you know, your mushroom pie, that's amazing. This would yeah. be really lovely. Yeah. I think the, um, the, the mushroom is great with like a Pinot Noir. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, the, um, I think the, the big, big red wines really need like some assertive flavors. I agree. Um, this is great. I'm pleasantly surprised about this wine. When you said, let's do a couple, I was like, okay, I haven't done it in a while. Dude, I was at a hotel. Um, I was at a whole, I don't even remember where I was, but I was at a hotel and I go into the, um, they had no bar or anything and I wanted a, a glass of wine and they had the claret in their little market. Like the grab it go section. Yeah. yeah. So I drank this in my bed a couple months ago in were my you, hotel were room. Were you literally in your bed? Like drinking I was literally in your bed? In my, yeah. I mean, it was a tiny hotel room. <laughs> it was either in, in the bed or on the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> Better on the bed, I think. <laughs> Better on the bed. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, you can get this in probably at least half of the states in the country. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, for for that alone, it's just, I, I think it's amazing. It's awesome. And if you are not familiar with where to find this, there is a link in the show notes on today's episode that you can click on and you can order it and have it sent right to your doorstep. So check out that link, okay? Um, now we're going to go into one of my favorite segments and then I just have one other question for you, but we've got some listener questions. Listener questions. So 
in anticipation of you joining me here, I have pulled the audience and some people that you may or may not know have sent in some questions for you. So are you ready? Okay. Someone named Dana would like to know, what is your favorite food that is not pizza? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, I have a lot of favorite foods. Uh, I'm a pretty passionate person. So when I like something or dislike it, I really like it mm. or dislike it. Um, I would say my favorite food is ice cream. Ooh. And chicken soup is another one. Comfort. Listen to you. Are you like homesick on the couch in middle school with ice cream and chicken uh, soup? <laughs> uh, that's how I feel pretty much every day in my life. <laughs> Comfort. <laughs> no, I not not really. No, I, I love I love that, you know, so much of food is comfort and it brings you back to a time and place where uh, maybe things were a little easier or more simple. Uh, it makes you feel good on a bad day, uh, makes you feel great on a on a good day. Uh, it reminds you of people, reminds you of places you've been. Uh, and I, I just one it's one of the reasons why I love working in in the food business. It's so deeply ingrained in who we are as humans. And food, uh, and so I grew up eating eating a lot of chicken soup. Well, yeah, and food and wine both have that tie to olfactory, to memory, to the, the memory that's stored in your brain because of flavor and scent and smell. And there is yeah. just that it's it's emotional. And then one other listener listener question is uh, from a lady named Amanda. Don't know who could that oh, be. Oh, yeah. Uh, Amanda would like to know, quote, if you weren't making kick-ass pizza and shaking up the culinary world, what would you be doing? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. Uh, I would be a rock star. You already are. Music. Pick something else. No, you're Thank already you. there. <laughs> Thank you. I'd really? Be Truly? Either- I mean, that was my dream before I um, got so interested in food. Yeah, for sure. And I still play music just about every day. What do you play? Uh, guitar right now. Nice. Like acoustic, yeah. like electric, like all nah, electric. Yeah, you shred. Don't I like you? to rock you shred, out. I shred, do shred. shred. I shred. And we're not talking about every mozzarella. Day. You shred. <laughs> <laughs> so that is a great segue to my final question, which is if there are people that are listening to this that have a passion or a curiosity about something that's pulling, I always say that that's on their heart or that's pulling at them, um, what would your advice be? Uh, to people who are finding themselves with that something bubbling up inside them. Oh, scratch the itch. <laughs> scratch the itch of curiosity. I do it every every single day. Um, all throughout my daily being. I just, I, I constantly go down those rabbit holes that I'm curious about. And when I find something that I'm, intensely curious about and want to actually keep repeating that's when the greatness really happens it's through the practice and anything that you want to constantly consistently practice 
that's what you're going to get good at. So if the curiosity leads you to something that you genuinely want to practice, that's always the right direction to go in. That's amazing. And and kind of along that line, my my advice when people always ask sort of about my journey, which has some some parallels to yours, is just like, just say yes. Like say yes to the curiosity. Say yes to the opportunity that's plopped in front of you. You don't know where it's going to lead, but just say yes and you'll figure out the rest later. And it yeah, all kind of works it. itself out, right? Just say yeah, yes. I feel like people overthink things constantly and it prohibits them from being curious and and trying it and continuing with something that they actually like. We call that getting out of your own way. Step aside, yeah. me, let me through. <laughs> yeah. Dan, if people want to follow your journey, learn more about you, where is the best place for them to do that? Well, you can come see me at Rata. Heck I'm yeah. always here. Heck yeah. <laughs> Tell me when you're going person and I will meet you there. I'll be here Tuesday through Saturdays, unless I'm traveling, which I do travel a lot. Um, but no, seriously, uh, Instagram, it's at Dan Richer or at Ratza NJ, like New Jersey. Uh, I'm on Facebook, kind of. And I think that's about it. And again, I'll put a link in the show notes for The Joy of Pizza, awesome book, for the chili peppers, plural, with burlap and feral. And uh, I can't thank you enough for your time. Again, I know you're so busy and you're wedged oh, in your on. back office in the in the restaurant there and the pizzas are burning the, in the oven. But here you are taking time to share your joy with us, to name your intention. Uh, and I just absolutely am so grateful. So thank you for your time today. I am the grateful one. I love that you're doing this and I love that you reached out to me because I just love talking to you. Well, I feel like I feel like we should do this more often. Um, let's just get on Zoom and drink wine together. <laughs> our, our spouses, they, they will, they'll be okay with that, right? <laughs> Completely. Completely. We'll, we'll, we'll rope them in and let them join us. Well, thank you again for your time. Cheers to Coppola, this Cheers beautiful 2020 Claret. And I hope you have an awesome rest of your night. Thanks, Dan. You're the best. I mean, come on. How awesome was that? <laughs> I'm so grateful to Dan for his time. He literally was in the back office of the restaurant. You could hear the servers and the clangor of the restaurant. And uh, it was just so cool to learn more about him. And I hope that you were able to take away some tips on how to elevate your pizza or just enjoy it more, appreciate it more. Um, and I hope you get to try the Coppola Claret. Don't forget, uh, look at the link in the show notes, and you can order that right on wine.com. Heck, you could order a case at that price and have it shipped. Then I'll also put the notes in there so you can get his book, The Joy of Pizza, as well as what I think are the best chili peppers on the planet from his collaboration with Burlap and Barrel. Thank you to Dan. Thank you for your time. It was so much fun. Thank you for listening. I hope that you enjoyed it. And if you did, feel free to like, to subscribe, and uh, leave us a review so we can keep doing what we're doing. Sip well, everyone. Sip with Nikki is hosted by Nikki Lamberti. Production and sound mixing by Katherine Bryan. 
you can always send your listener questions to Nikki at sipwithnikki.com or find us on the Sip With Nikki Facebook page or visit us on Instagram at Nikki Lamberti. Thanks for listening. We can't wait to sip with you. This is Sip With Nikki, a production of Take 10 Studios.